This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. As expected, the United States placed new tariffs on certain Chinese products coming to our country today, and China responded with new tariffs equaling basically the same amount, $34 billion. The products going into China, which are being taxed, include pork products, soybean, and electric vehicles. But President Trump has already announced more tariffs to come in the next month. And it isn't just China that is on his radar, obviously. European countries are as well. So it would seem that we are in the midst of a trade war. With more on this, we are joined by Jacques Delisle, law professor and political science professor here at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as director of the Center for East Asian Studies. Also with us, Matt Gold, adjunct uh, law professor at Fordham University and a former deputy assistant U.S. trade representative for North America. And also Mary Lovely, who's an economics professor at Syracuse University and a non-resident senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Jacques, Matt, Mary, as always, great to have you all joining the show. Thank you for your time. Thank Great you. Great to be here. Thank you both. Thank you all. Uh, so I'll, I'll send it around the table. Matt, I'll start with you. Does this qualify as a trade war? Oh, yes. This is definitely a trade war. It's actually a, a two or three separate trade wars. There's one between the U.S. and China um, that started, of course, because China's been stealing U.S. intellectual property rights for 15 years. Uh, we certainly were justified in taking action, but not the way Donald Trump did. The second one um, is over our steel and aluminum tariffs, which were charged on steel and aluminum coming in from different countries into the United States. That's a completely separate issue. And there the United States was the initial violator of the rules uh, because those tariffs were complete violations of WTO rules and other countries started retaliating against us. That includes Canada, Mexico, Europe, and China, um, those who exported steel and aluminum to the United States. And now there's a third trade war going on over automobile tariffs, tariffs that the United States and other countries have. These are the ordinary customs duties on car and car parts that we've all negotiated. Uh, but Trump is not happy with how previous U.S. presidents negotiated them, and, and he's starting a war over that. So it's three different trade wars at once. Mary? Well, I would just add, I think uh, we didn't add in solar panels and washing machines, um, which was earlier in the year. So more tariffs, uh, again, I think a violation of uh, at least the spirit of the WTO um, in that case. So uh, we got a lot of stuff happening all over the world, and none of it's good for trade. Jacques, from uh, your contacts over uh, in Asia, what has been the reaction? Uh, obviously, we knew this was coming now for a couple of weeks, but what's been the reaction to all of this? Well, it has been seen as coming for a while, and I think the sense is that, you know, to use a World War One analogy, Archduke Ferdinand has been shot, and the question is, do we wind up in full-scale trench warfare? Uh, and I think there's still uncertainty about that. The, the, there is still uh, some sense of hope over there, uh, uh, based ultimately in some sense of disbelief that the U.S. will really go through with this. I mean, at this point, we are in the early stages. I would agree with my colleagues on the panel that this, this is a trade war, but the real risk is further escalation beyond what's already happened. Uh, but the Chinese have, uh, in particular, have really set up saying, look, we don't want this war. We're not starting this war. It's the U.S.'s fault. They're being bullies. We have to defend our core interests. There's a lot of rhetoric that is, is really using uh, metaphors uh, from war. So they're trying at least to signal that they're in no mood uh, to back down. That said, um, there is still room for negotiation if, if people want to sit down and do it, but it, it's a question of getting there. So I'd say there's divided opinion now about whether we're really seeing escalation or whether this is just 
some initial shots to be followed by talks. Well, and that's kind of the question, Jock, I think a lot of people are wondering, is that it's one thing to kind of bring this idea forward and then immediately get to the to the table to discuss what's going on. Obviously, this administration is not taking that path. Right. I'm pretty pessimistic. There are no talks scheduled. We've seen talks blow up before. We've seen uh, screaming fights within the U.S. delegation. And we've seen both sides kind of dig in their heels saying, we're not going to back down. That's all a very bad situation. The optimism, I think, stems from the almost desperate view that if this gets really bad, it's so bad, we can't believe people will let it happen. I don't think there's a whole lot more than that behind it right now. Matt, your thoughts? Well, a couple of things. First of all, let me just say that the um, U.S. duties that were imposed on solar panels and residential washers, in my opinion, <clears throat> are in no way connected to this trade war. The United States did those. Um, those are safeguards. We did those legally under the international trading rules. And we have for 70 years imposed special temporary customs duties over and above the ordinary customs duties. But when we've done it, we've always done it either 100 percent compliant with WTO rules or 99.9 percent compliant with WTO rules, and sometimes you have legal arguments in Geneva about the, the one-tenth of one percent. But um, when we do those, usually it's certain types of, of um, uh, duties over and above the ordinary duties. It's anti-dumping duties, countervailing duties, and safeguards. And, and those were solar wash, the solar panels and washers were the safeguards. Those kinds of duties we always do, either 100 percent legal or almost 100 percent legal. And they don't start trade wars. They've never started a trade war before under previous presidents. They didn't start this trade war. But the steel and aluminum tariffs did not fall in any of those categories. Those were national security duties, and we did those in, in a way that was completely violative of WTO rules. And also our retaliation against China for stealing our intellectual property rights. We could have done that legally, but we did that also in a way that was completely illegal under the WTO rules. So, so it's the steel and aluminum tariffs and the retaliatory tariffs against China that the United States did that were a WTO illegal and that started this trade war, <clears throat> not any of the recent anti-dumping duties, countervailing duties or safeguards. And that means not the solar panels or washers. Um, that having been said, I, I do think that um, this idea that, well, the world won't let it happen is, is uh, unfortunately something we can't rely on. I mean, if, as a former U.S. trade negotiator, I can tell you Donald Trump has left no one any exit ramps here. There literally is no exit ramp except Donald Trump himself unilaterally saying, uh, I was wrong and reversing the steel aluminum tariffs and, and also reversing the retaliatory tariffs against China until the WTO approves them, which could take a few years. And Donald Trump's not going to do that. And that's literally the only exit ramp. Trump hoped that these other countries would come and negotiate with him, but they won't and they can't. And that was predictable because when you threaten to impose tariffs that are WTO illegal or you impose tariffs that are WTO illegal in diplomacy, no country will and no country feels that it can negotiate uh, on that. And that's why we're really stuck with no exit ramps. So then what's your expectation that, that we are going to see play out here uh, in the weeks and months to come then, Matt? Well, I think Donald Trump uh, cares only about the midterm elections right now and how well his surrogates do and people on his coattails. So um, looking in the next several months, what I see is Trump angling in a way that looks like the war, the battle is still going on through the midterms, because the only way it ends is um, Trump loses badly. Um, and what he needs to do is for himself politically is, is try to make sure that's not obvious uh, until after the midterms. And I think the other countries are going to offer him faith-saving mechanisms uh, that he can grab to delay. Uh, and so one of two things is going to end up happening. Either 
Well, it depends which of the three wars we're talking about. But if we talk about the, the, the one that's most current on the, on the automobiles, the Europeans will probably offer to go in a room and talk, and it'll look like they're negotiating, and it'll look like he brought them to the table. And if he accepts that, they will be in a room behind closed doors until after the midterms, and no one will know until after the midterms. They're not going to actually give him any concessions. Uh, on the China um, retaliation, I think... Um, we could go into the round. China's going to impose the uh, 30, duties on $34 billion of U.S. goods. Trump is definitely going to come in and impose duties on another $16 billion after that because the, the process is already going forward for that. Um, that'll bring it up to $50 billion. China will come back, and they, they will impose tariffs on another $16 billion of U.S. goods, so tariffs on $50 billion going either way. And then the bull will be in Trump's court um, to do what he's threatened to do, which is add tariffs to another $200 billion of Chinese products. And he'll either be doing that or considering that at, uh, through the midterms. He, he won't back down before the midterms. And, and afterwards, we'll find out what he's going to be doing uh, with that. Mary, what's your expectation? My expectations are similar to Matt's. I would just I would take issue with one of the things Matt said. Obviously, Matt's a very experienced trade lawyer, and he's right under international law. But I would go back to the washing machines and solar panels in one respect, which was that it was a very threatening action. I think it took with South Korea in particular during the chorus um, discussions, and I think that it was emblematic of the approach that the Trump administration takes, which is largely one of uh, giving uh, our trade partners really no room for political maneuver, sort of a take-it-or-leave-it type approach. Some have said bullying approach. And because of this approach, uh, it really does not uh, give our allies any political space to back down. Some observers have said, hey, you know, the rest of the world shouldn't shoot themselves in the foot just because we've decided to. Retaliation doesn't make any sense. And yet politically, for internal uh, their internal audiences, I don't think that this approach is given them any room to maneuver. This is particularly a problem, I think, with China, where, as um, the other uh, folks have mentioned, we have some very real issues uh, with their um, uh, re approach to intellectual property theft, in intellectual property uh, acquisition that need to be addressed, and yet we have given them no room to even begin to actually uh, make changes to policies that would be, in the long run, mutually beneficial. Well, Jacqueline, from your perspective, how, how is this going to play out for for China then moving forward, especially if President Trump already kind of has in in the works or at least ready to go all of these other level of tariffs that he wants to put on uh, on goods coming from China? I, mean, I think there is this risk of escalation. I think Matt's right that, you know, we've seen the $34 billion tit for tat. We'll see the next $16 billion or $18 billion, whatever it's in, in the tranche. The question is whether Trump will make good on the 200 and $400 billion uh, numbers above, above that. That would be, you know, a, a severe escalation. But, you know, the, Chinese, the Chinese position is, look, they're going to, they can weather this. Their view is that they can outlast the U.S. on this because um, they have, you know, obviously a very different system, less pressure from consumers, and that it's sort of a, a, an issue issue of, of almost uh, national pride. And I think there's some befuddlement in China about what exactly it is that Trump wants. Because as Mary was saying, there's a long list of, of legitimate uh, complaints, and Matt's talked about these too, uh, intellectual property uh, transfers in a somewhat coercive way, outright espionage, uh, some questions about subsidies to state enterprises, which make them unfairly competitive, and a lot of old conventional you know, dumping and, 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 and such issues within the WTO framework. Uh, but what exactly does the U.S. want? That's been mixed with straight, flat-out demands to reduce the trade deficit. 
Uh, and so China has been trying to uh, offer something on a few of these fronts, including, for instance, buying a lot more American stuff. Uh, Liu He showed up with that offer. But by and large, um, they've been rebuffed, and they're not getting clear signals of what exactly the Trump administration priorities are. And now, essentially, they feel that they can't sit by and watch the U.S. engage in WTO noncompliant behavior that they're describing as bullying and the biggest trade war in, uh, you know, since uh, since the system essentially got put in place. So I think it's very hard for them not to um, stick to where they are, but they would like to negotiate their way out of it. The problem is, as has been said, Trump's not leaving them a lot of off-ramps. Well, Matt, then where is the most immediate impact with these latest rounds uh, of tariffs, whether it be the products uh, leaving the U.S. going to China or, or things coming from China to the U.S.? Oh, the impacts are, are definitely in both directions. Um, but the impact is more spread out with regard to the goods coming to the U.S., uh, increasing costs for consumers, but also for U.S. production that has to buy material inputs to their manufacturing processes. Uh, at the same time, the costs for U.S. exporters, particularly agricultural exporters, is much more focused on a, a smaller number uh, of U.S. companies. And, uh, and, and so you're going to see a louder, clearer, uh, more organized reaction uh, to that particular set of problems. But there's a couple of other things I'd like to say. Uh, first, I agree with everything Jacques just said. Uh, I also would like to say I agree with what Mary said um, about how obnoxious Donald Trump was with respect to the, the solar, uh, the, the, uh, the safeguard tariffs on uh, solar panels and washers. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it's such an important point. I want to go back to the solar washers. It's really an important point. It's, it's the most important point out there. Um, guy walks into a car dealership. He says, if you don't lower the price in that car, $2,000, I'm going to walk out of the door and take my business down the street. Guy walks into the same um, car dealership and says, you don't lower the price in that car, $2,000, I'm going to break your legs. What's the difference? Well, the first is negotiation. The second is extortion. Why? Because the threat he made in the first case is a threat to do something he's legally entitled to do, go down the street and spend his money elsewhere. The threat he met in the second place is a threat he's not legally entitled to do, break the guy's legs. It's an enormous bright line difference. It doesn't matter how obnoxious Donald Trump is with respect to imposing tariffs that the United States is legally allowed to impose. If he's threatening to do it, other countries might come and sit down and negotiate. But if he's threatening to impose tariffs that he's not legally entitled to impose, it doesn't even matter how diplomatic he is, they won't negotiate. And that's why the latter causes a trade war and the former doesn't. Mary? Well, I, I do think there are issues that are interrelated here, that Donald Trump is playing on um, many fronts at one time. And uh, in this particular case, the, he had several irons in the fire with South Korea. So uh, on it, uh, the truth, Matt is 100% right. These, this, I will acknowledge this is a super bright line. It's very important. And that the main, one of the main concerns we have here is how willing this administration is to, to paint outside the lines, to use things like Section 232 National Security Clause for things which are obviously protectionist. That has very severe ramifications for the future of the global trading system. So Matt is highlighting what is ultimately the, probably the most important outcome here. What is the future for the world trading system? It's a trading system which is showing strains, clearly needs to be modernized, and yet uh, we're breaking a lot of dishes instead of building anything new. What about the issues with supply chains as well, Mary? Supply chains are really what is being hit by the Trump tariffs on China. Uh, only 1% of the goods are consumer goods. The rest are either capital uh, equipment, so machines, or intermediate inputs and parts. Uh, many of these are from foreign invested enterprises operating in China. They are clearly supply chain trade. 
So they are inputs from, say, BMW operating in, in China coming back to plants here in Georgia. So uh, this type of these tariffs are going to hurt the U.S. Many people say, oh, well, it'll hurt China more because China exports more to us than we export to them. I think it's a misunderstanding of the type of trade that we do with China, and many of it is very important to keeping our own domestic producers competitive, uh, both within the U.S. market, where they have to face imported products, and externally and external markets where they have to face uh, global competition. Jacques? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there, the way that we talk about trade deficits and certainly the way that Trump seems to conceive of them, it is basically you impute to China the full value of the thing as it comes in if it, if it is exported from the U.S. to China. Much of the value added in the things that come from China is not added in China. The vast majority of it, uh, the value is embodied in components that go into China are uh, – assembled or transformed in various ways and come back here. So a big chunk of it is actually U.S. sourced material and other other country sourced material that goes into the products that are exported here. So we're hurting uh, those uh, suppliers of inputs. We're hurting the American companies that are, um, are working in China with uh, goods from the U.S. and elsewhere, intermediate goods from the U.S. and elsewhere to produce what they're producing. Uh, and the other thing is we're getting well beyond trade in terms of the way China can retaliate. I mean, it's not just about tariffs. China has been very clear that it will use and is using qualitative as well as quantitative measures to use their terminology. So we're starting to hear from U.S. businesses in China concerns that suddenly they're going to be facing more serious inspections on environment and perhaps labor, that U.S. goods imported into China aren't just facing tariffs, but they're facing uh, more strict quarantines, uh, more spot inspections, all sorts of delays. There are lots and lots of ways uh, that, that China has, that the U.S. to some extent has, but not nearly as robustly, uh, to make life miserable. We'll also see quite possibly Chinese consumers turning against American-branded products, which is bad for a bunch of American companies that do business in China, both on the ground and through exports. And we can easily see uh, Chinese big companies, big trading companies, suddenly start buying elsewhere, uh, regardless of the tariff uh, f- uh, to being imposed on soybeans, corn, and other such things. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Joined uh, on the phone by Jacques Delisle of the University of Pennsylvania, Matt Gold of Fordham University, Mary Lovely of Syracuse University, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Not that it's necessarily in, in this piece of it between the U.S. and China, Matt, but obviously one of the, the, the more visible stories and more visible corporate names that has been uh, involved in, and kind of linked to this in the last couple of weeks has been Harley-Davidson and their move to move more production over to Europe on vehicles going over there. How much do you think having that type of a brand making this statement, how, how does that play into this whole uh, set of circumstances where trade and tariffs are concerned? Well, that's, you know, it, I think that America's trade adversaries have become more sophisticated in understanding America's political system. I mean, at the very end of the day, you have a president who's doing things that um, every expert will tell you is it, anything from very bad to catastrophically stupid. And the question ultimately becomes, well, how did this guy get into the Oval Office and how do you get him out of the Oval Office? And uh, he appealed to a large uh, core electorate 
in, in grossly oversimplistic terms, describing things completely inaccurately, and they bought the whole thing line, hook, and sinker. That's how we got into office. And so our trade adversaries are now targeting U.S. brands that they think will tell the story of why Donald Trump's trade policy is a mistake and tell that story specifically to those constituents uh, whom Trump lied to and who believed him. So that's why they go after brands like Harley-Davidson. Um, and uh, there's no question that, that Harley really has been put into a, a corner where they have to move more uh, manufacturing overseas. Uh, and there's no question that it really does tell the story of why all of this is a bad idea in, in very clear, simple, straightforward terms. Mary, your thoughts? Yeah, I think Harley's not alone. I think we're going to see other, you know, especially multinationals, which have uh, alternative production sites. So, for example, uh, we have uh, reports that some of the European car makers are already reconsidering um, changing their the production lines that they make here, uh, moving some production lines out, particularly for vehicles that they export to China. So uh, we take, for example, the BMW, the X3, the X5, they have production uh, facilities in Pretoria, South Africa, where they can import parts without duties and then export without the tariffs. So they will still produce in the United States, obviously, but it, it becomes what I call production island. People will be here to produce for the United States. It makes it very difficult for these countries to then use this as a great place to build for export. To the phones we go in Santa Barbara, California. Lewis is on the line. Lewis, go ahead. Yeah, hello, uh, Mary. You, you mentioned something about uh, national security, uh, enacting something in national security. Uh, can you say more about that? Because I, I recall that uh, there being a clause in there that once something is national security, uh, the government, the president, could literally just give no bid contracts to any category, uh, like Dick Cheney. Another another opportunity to now pillage and just give contracts to whoever he wants, however he wants, because it's all under national security. Yeah, I don't think in this case it has to do with contracts. It really has to do with their ability to respond in a way that the administration decides is appropriate uh, without having oversight from Congress. Uh, Matt, you'd probably be uh, better at uh, filling in on the details here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I, I agree with Mary. This is not about contracts. But the president does get himself a very broad authority from Congress to impose tariffs the moment he cites national security as his reason. Um, you know, the Constitution gives the, the legislative branch, the Congress, the authority to impose trade barriers. And the executive branch, the president, only gets that authority when Congress delegates to the executive branch uh, authority to impose trade barriers in the statute. And what the Congress has done is they've delegated authority to the president to impose, to himself impose, you know, the regular ordinary customs duties are done by Congress in the tariff schedule, which is a statute. But they've given the president the authority to impose these temporary special customs duties over and above the ordinary customs duties, but only in five specified situations. And they've given him narrow, very specified authority for the anti-dumping duties and the countervailing duties and the safeguards. But they've given him very broad authority when he cites national security. And, and so you're right, it, it is very broad, and that's why the president grabbed onto this national security authority, which his predecessors have never done, to impose duties that he otherwise would not have the authority from Congress to impose. But, of course, when he does that, the United States is still violating the international rules. 
Lewis, thanks very much for the call. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. A little piece of data that came out uh, earlier, Matt and and Jacques, and I'll have you take us through this if you can. Uh, The Commerce Department came out earlier and said that the the goods trades deficit with China widened last month to over just over $33 billion from $28 billion. And the cumulative total was greater than at the same time as in 2017. Take us through how that all, what that means in, in this uh, particular case. Matt, I'll start with you. Let's go to Jacques for that. Okay. Jacques, go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, I mean, a lot of what's going on here, and one of the reasons that Trump is in a relatively uh, good position um, Matt's alluded to some of these, uh, that the trading partners will you know, sort of give him a little room to try to back down or at least buy him a little time until he gets to the midterms. One of the things Trump's got going for him is the U.S. economy is very, very strong right now. Uh, and trade deficits typically uh, go up when U.S. consumers are buying and the economy is doing well, and, and that's part of, uh, of what drives it. Um, and, you know, we also have seen, I think, some troubles start to emerge with the threat of this, this trade war. So some of the uh, American producers have started to complain about um, less interest in their products from China in the, in the run-up to this. So I haven't seen anybody really unpack the numbers, but those are the, the two things that are obviously out there on the landscape. 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Mary, I, I guess for a lot of people that are listening to us right now, the question for them would be, is the U.S. consumer going to feel the pinch on this at some point? So, uh, yes, the consumer will feel the pinch, but uh, what is making it easier for President Trump to wage this trade war right now is the fact that the U.S. economy is performing beautifully right now. Uh, This should be a time where we're really enjoying uh, a very healthy economic growth and investing like crazy in the future of American workers, but we're not. Uh, The fact that the economy is growing so strongly helps to explain the increasing deficit. I was looking at the import and export numbers this morning, and our imports from China are higher month-on-month from 2017, but so are our exports to China. So we're at a period where uh, we're seeing – we would normally be seeing increases in the deficit because the U.S. is actually growing stronger than much of the rest of the world. And yet um, this – growth is being used in a way to really mortgage our future because we're making we're laying down policies which bode uh, ill for for future investment into the United States future competitive competitiveness of US products overseas so again the great economic growth that we're experiencing we're even begin, beginning to see increases in workers real wages that is hiding the pain that we will experience long term because of these uh, really ill-considered policies. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, Jock, what's your expectation that uh, that we will see, at least in the short term, with these uh, with these tariffs in place? Well, we're going to see, you know, the current tranches are, are, are taking effect right now. Um, I would agree with what Matt said earlier that I would be surprised if we don't see um, at least a, a short follow-on round. Uh, I'm hopeful we won't see the massive escalation. Uh, and I think the next move from the Chinese side will be things that are, 
you know, probably matching an incremental increase in tariffs from the U.S., but, but a lot of the Chinese leverage is going to be in these qualitative, hard-to-track-down me- uh, measures, which aren't traditional trade war mechanisms. They're not WTO actionable. Uh, they're decisions by consumers. They're decisions by companies. They're discretionary decisions by regulators. That's really where the Chinese have an ability to put the, the screws to a variety of U.S. companies, uh, whom they hope, and there are already signs of this if you see the meetings that have been held by the American Chamber of Commerce in China and other such U.S.-China business groups, they're really worried about the consequences for their business in China, both in selling to China and in producing for re-export to the U.S. Great having you all with us today. Thank you, Jacques. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Mary. All the best. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 